Hello, this is Lehman Kessler, and you're listening to Walk Left, the podcast. And I'm Marty Chidor. Thanks for joining us. Lehman, Marty, you're producing a reading that's coming up very soon. Tell us a bit about the script. Uh, the script is called Conspiracy. It's written by Loring Mandel, who is a, a stage and screen writer, a television writer um, who's been around for a, a very long time. And he wrote this script in, I believe, the, the late 90s. And it was, it's about uh, a historical event, the Vonsay Conference, January 20th, 1942. Uh, several high-ranking members of the, uh, the German government, members of the SS and parts of the um, sort of government of occupied Poland, were brought together to a, a manor outside of Berlin and in a matter of hours were explained just how the Holocaust was going to work and could they sign off on it, please. And it was made into, eventually it was made into a movie, um, a sort of a co-production of BBC and HBO in 2001. And that was starred Kenneth Branagh and Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth. And eventually I managed to find a copy while I was working at Blockbuster. And that was 10 years ago. And I've, I've been fascinated by the movie ever since. I, uh, over a year or so ago, um, a stage adaptation was worked out in uh, a, a theater company out in Lansing, Michigan. A man named James Huskell uh, got in touch with Loring Mandel. And the two of them sort of workshopped and produced a, a staged version of the show and they did a, a full production with costumes and setting and it was a, a very ambitious project and I've seen a lot of the, the photos from it. It's 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 beautiful. Um, but the end result being that there was this script now. And prior to my learning about this, I had thought for years this would make a wonderful play. It's it has the unity of time and space, for those of you who took your intro drama course. <laughs> it's it all takes place over the course of two hours uh, in this essentially just in one boardroom at this manner, and it follows the conversation that happens between these these about fifteen um, members of the German government and military, and it's it's like Twelve Angry Men is really how I I sort of describe it. Only fifteen well-fed Nazis. It essentially takes place over a buffet lunch. You know, this is a board meeting. This is you know folks getting together to to discuss logistics and and railway scheduling. It's it's so chilling in that it's so mundane. Uh, the actual uh, event is is recorded in a series of minutes. Uh, only one copy uh, survived. And I've read the minutes or the translation of the minutes because they're archived now. And reading through it, it's it's about the most sort of boring meeting you can imagine. It's a lot of just discussions of sort of nitty-gritty and minutia and and sort of legal details. But hidden within that those numbers are the lives of millions of people and the fate of multiple nations. And so it's it's absolutely just spellbinding how much drama can be found in what's essentially a two-hour, you know, drinking meeting. <laughs> you know, a, a, it's like it's like Mad Men, but the stakes are just that much higher. Now, and this is being uh, you're producing this uh, close to the anniversary of the actual. Dates. Yeah, the this this project began probably well almost a year ago now uh, because I I'd been I've been trying to figure out how I could adapt this and I had sort of done a little bits of research here and there and finally I got in touch with the the literary agency that that uh, represented uh, Mr. Mandel 
And I said, oh, my name is Lena Kessler. I'm, a, you know, I'm an actor in Toronto, and I'm very interested in, in, in doing a stage adaptation. And they wrote back uh, very sort of curtly and said, oh, well, this has already been adapted for the stage by a group out in Michigan. Thank you. And so I, I wrote back instantly like, oh, well, is, is there a way to get access to the script? And didn't hear back and didn't hear back. And sort of every few months, I would kind of check in and try to find out more information. And finally, I, I discovered that there was a script and began the sort of the long process of negotiating rights and trying to figure out how to put things together. And I was I was caught for a while in a bit of a bind where I didn't know how much it would cost to produce and I didn't know when I would be able to produce it. And yet I had to kind of put together a, a proposal for them before they would they would sort of give me any information. So I had to to find actors willing to participate. I had to find a space. And it was it was really sort of touch and go trying to say you know, oh, hey, would you like to be a part of this project? I don't know when it's going to happen or where or even if, but could you set aside these dates for me? And I found a handful of guys who very kindly agreed to join me in this. And eventually I was able to put together a proposal, send it off, uh, waited, waited, and finally was told, sure, go ahead. And I got the script in hand uh, barely over a month ago. And uh, it's been a kind of mad rush to to get this thing put up. Luckily, um, I live by the church in, uh, in many different ways. My wife is a priest, and we live next door to the church where uh, she priests. And I thought, well, you know, they, they do a lot of education events, and they have a lot of connection with uh, Jewish community and the Holocaust education um, sort of network here in Toronto. And I approached them and said, would, you know, would this space be appropriate? Would you be willing to, to, to help with this? And they very kindly agreed to not only uh, put us up, but to help sponsor it and to fold it into their already existing education program. And so much time had kind of passed at this point that it was going to be, you know, November or, or December before I could do anything. I thought, well, the events of the, of the of history took place in January. Why not just push it forward another extra month and do it in January? And so the date, uh, January 19th, is a, sort of a day before the actual uh, event took place, but it, it's close enough. Uh, and it um, it really lent itself to this idea of this is something that really happened. You know, this is a real place. This was a real time. This isn't sort of a, a fanciful imagining what if. I mean, the, the script is is fictionalized, but the characters are not. And uh, Loring Mandel did a lot of research into these, these 15 individuals looking through letters, looking through sort of what historical record was available and crafted very interesting characters, very interesting people who are who are believable and frightening in that they're not monsters. You know, these are not Indiana Jones sort of sneering villains. These are middle managers. These are bureaucrats. These are, are lawyers and folks who are tied to a hierarchy and to a culture that is not that unrecognizable. And, and the script has such a natural feel to it. I mean, when I watched the movie, I was struck by how I felt the script could have been written like in the 50s, you know, mm -hmm. or, the, or the 60s. You know, it just, it has this this flow and there's no external condemnation. There's no moral because there doesn't need to be. It's it's just presented as is and, you know, you, you can allow your own conscience to dictate how you approach it, but it's, it, it's really a fascinating, a fascinating script and, and a hard script. It puts me in mind of um, when Noah Wilde uh, played a young Hitler in uh, the the film Max with John Cusack. He he got a lot of, of flack from people saying he was playing Hitler as too sympathetic, as too human. He wasn't, you know, he was trying to, to lead the audience to have feelings for, for this man who's a monster. 
And Noah Wilde very sort of calmly said, well, a monster didn't do these acts of evil. A human did. And we need to remember that. And I think that's, that's at the heart of, of, this, of this script. And there's humor in it, too, which is, is chilling in its own way. It's, uh, it catches you up. It makes you, you know, start laughing or start kind of nodding along in agreement with what someone's saying until you realize, wait, no, that's, that's terrible. You know, why am I, you know, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be thinking like that. And I feel like that's a, that's a really compelling way of telling stories like this. You know, not playing up to people's expectations, not trying to tell them something they already know, but just telling it as close to as it is as you can and letting letting the emotional responses come. Do you get a sense that the way these characters are talking, that it's them just sort of doing their jobs or? For some of them, yes. I mean, for some of them, it's certainly, you know, I just have to do what I need to, to, to get by, you know, in some cases they're looking for career advancement. You know, they're, they're very cynical. Um, others are just trying to keep their heads low. You know, they've got a job to do and this is just the way things are. And you sort of accept a given level of awful. And it, it, it requires to some degree, you know, the, 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 the audience member to ask, you know, what do I accept? What do I say? Oh, well, there's nothing to be done about this. This is just the way things have to be. Um, you know, the, the alternative is chaos. The alternative is, is a return to some utopian past that doesn't exist. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind. You know, what, what do we find acceptable because the alternative involves looking inwards and saying, I've allowed this terrible thing to happen for so long. Um, and I, I really, I find that chilling. Um, and and I, I really appreciate works like this. I'm, I'm as my wife will say, I have a, a sort of obsession with, with films from this era and, and books from, from this time period. And it's not, I'm not a World War II buff. I don't really care about panzer divisions and <laughs> sorties and, and, you know, logistical lines. But I really am fascinated by the mindset, the psychology, the sociology. I mean, the politics to some degree, and sort of the larger-than-life characters, but also the sort of the nitty-gritty of it, and the sort of individuals who just get caught up in something bigger than yourself. A, a woman I worked with was German, and she talked about um, once asking her grandparents, you know, you know, what was going on? You know, what did you guys know? You know, what did you do? And they just they said, we were hungry, we were cold, and suddenly we were eating again, and there were jobs. We didn't want to ask questions, and that's that's where things get chilling. You know, we're we're, you know, less than a few weeks ago, you know, a, a member of the Hungarian Parliament asked for a list of all Jewish Hungarian citizen names, just in case, you know, for for national security reasons. You know, like we haven't moved past this. Uh, you know, they're fighting about you know how democracy is going to be looking in Egypt right now, and there's a lot of fears and there's a lot of anger, and how that's going to spill out is. Is chilling, and I think it's it behooves us to be aware of just how humans function, and and what we are capable of, and what we can overcome. I mean, there are heroes that come out of this. There are people who show sympathy, who show compassion, who who overcome great wickedness. Um, there's a lot of folks who succumb, and pretty much everyone in this story succumbs. Um, and in conspiracy, you have 
couple of, of, of what I think of as sort of pseudo heroes, pseudo good guys. They're, you know, they, they are arguing against the SS and they're making these very impassioned pleas and you almost kind of root for them. But then you realize, oh, well, no, they don't want to, you know, free the Jews and keep them safe. They want the Jews to, you know, work in munitions or they just want to sterilize them or they just, you know, they want to make sure that their administrative needs are seen to first and then, you know, we can kill the Jews later. It's, you know, there's there's a lot of, of difficulty in in putting something like this up and not just portraying folks as monsters. You know, you you, you have to know that these are, are human beings capable of, of just as much sort of good and evil as, as anyone else. Could elaborate a bit on that. What was the timeline like of you discover you discovered this first as the movie? Yeah. So I, I, I found the film, uh, you know, just a Kenneth Branagh and Stanley Tucci glowering from in front of a swastika. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I can, I can get behind that. And I, and I watched <laughs> it, and, it, and it, it just blew me away. I mean, as soon as I watched it, I went out and bought a copy. Um, and I've watched it over and over and over again. I mean, I, I made a point of showing it a lot on, on the anniversary to folks just because I felt this was, a, a, a amazing movie. But it's, it's for all the reasons I've listed before, I feel like it's something that, that, that needs to be, you know, remembered. Um, and not out of a sense of sort of, you know, celebrating what happened or fetishizing it. Because um, there is a risk of that, of, of finding something titillating or stimulating about, you know, this this evil and, and this sort of horror. Um, I, I don't think that's a particularly healthy instinct, but, I, I you know, I think that it is an instinct. But I, I felt there was something really, really powerful in it, in it. And I felt it was something that could work so well on stage, you know, because it's so it's such a dialogue-driven play. And, and I wanted to participate in it, too. I mean, there was a selfish reason. You know, I wanted to see myself, you know... Uh, uh, playing out the roles or, or participating in it in some way, sharing in it. And so, you know, again, I, I began to try to figure out, okay, what can I do? Can I just sort of sit down, you know, with, with the remote control in one hand, ready to pause and just, you know, transcript, <laughs> you know, transcribe uh, uh, the lines so that I, you know, because there's, there's no script book really available out there. And it really just came down to, to knowing who to contact and how. I mean, I, I don't produce much. Uh, I've, I've produced uh, one Terry Pratchett play when I was an undergrad. I'm sort of uh, pseudo-producing uh, one play with uh, my, my regular theater company, Monkey Man Productions. And um, you can ask my other producer how, how good a job I'm doing. I probably would not be the most flattering, if you were being honest. Um, and, and then this. And uh, this, this took a lot of doing because I just I don't have the discipline and I don't have a lot of the know-how or the instinct of how to get something done. You know, if I meet a roadblock, I'm, I'm very capable of saying, oh, okay, well, I guess... They're not returning my calls, so I guess this will never happen. <laughs> and that that happened quite a bit, right. you know, to me. I, I kept sort of al allowing myself to be defeated. And and there were lucky, uh, luckily enough, there were enough folks who were who were lighting a fire under me and who were sort of uh, less encouraging and more threatening me <laughs> to to move the project onward. And slowly but surely, I found um, that doors kept opening up in ways I, I didn't expect. You know, about a, a little over a month ago, I thought this project was dead in the water. I, you know, I had no money for it. I, I, I didn't see how on earth I'd be able to produce it in as short a time period as it was looking like it was going to be. And then I had a one-minute conversation with someone, and the money appeared. And, you know, a couple of, of conversations later, the show is happening. And, you know, all it took really was was for, for me to, to meet and then, and, you know, show a certain amount of initiative and then, not just allow myself to be defeated. Um, and now we have a show that's going up. Um, it's going to be a free staged reading. I really wanted it to um, 
I really wanted to sort of, you know, be highlighted as sort of an education event, as a, as a social event. And, and luckily, I was able to couch it within the church's own education program, which makes me feel a lot better about it. I think, I mean, obviously, if I were doing a full-mounted show, I wouldn't feel so bad about charging. Um, but I don't know. For some reason, I sort of feel like for this first time around, I just want folks to see it and hear it and respond to it. And uh, what was originally something of a roadblock but then turned into an amazing opportunity is that the, uh, the writer, Loring Mandel himself, wanted to come see it. And so we arranged for him to, to fly up and uh, to stay in Toronto, and, and he's going he's gonna to do a question and answer session. And he's going to, he has been an amazing um, resource. You know, he, he's been willing to talk with me about not only the original uh, production, but the film and sort of his thought process going into it. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that, that people are going to get a chance to, to talk with him. And uh, not only him, but uh, the original director from Michigan, uh, James Huskell and his wife, are planning on, on coming all the way from Michigan to see it as well. And I, I, I feel really blessed that, that I have the opportunity to share with, you know, this, this process with them. You know, I sort of feel a lot of times like a, like a middle schooler sort of you know, dressing up in adult clothes and trying to pretend like he knows what he's doing. And, and I'm waiting for any moment for someone to, to kind of say, well, OK, kid, you know, you're done. Uh, and for that to not happen and for this project to keep going forward and, and that I found some some really talented folks willing to to cram themselves up on a on a stage to do this is um, well it's a blessing in its own right it's, it sounds like uh, the the main the main um, uh, the secret to producing is essentially just doing it um, <laughs> it takes no, it takes a no lot great of pluck. mystery no I mean it takes a lot of pluck and it, it it takes a lot of of confidence you know and not and not allowing yourself to be kind of psyched out and I think a lot of that comes with experience knowing what's what's a real roadblock and what's you know something that's just a phone call away from solving knowing when you can sort of be annoying and pester people and and when you can broach subjects and when you don't have to necessarily be as polite as you feel you might have to be um i mean i think that's that's true for a lot of projects you know really just just kind of going out there and, and doing it and seeing what happens and, and letting yourself you know risk getting yelled at or risk being told uh no in a more sort of firm way than not yet or something like that um, that's that's really i mean i've been my biggest enemy on this project <laughs> and i'm very happy that i finally uh, managed to get out of the way a little bit and let it happen and so you uh, you mentioned that you were originally seeing yourself being part of this. Are you going to be reading or, as part of the group? I originally I had thought to 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 play some of the parts. I mean, there's one of the parts. Uh, there there was one in particular that I've used a lot for audition pieces, and um, I've I've you know I, I really enjoyed it. But at the very first reading, I sort of you know I read the part and I kind of listened to myself and I listened to everyone else and I and I thought. Mm, I I'd rather take a step back. And maybe this is just me stepping in my way again, but I don't I don't think so this time. You know, I really kind of thought about um what I wanted to do and how I wanted to orchestrate it and uh the, I I realized that there needed to be uh, there's a lot of there's not a lot of stage directions because it's it is again sort of mostly folks sitting at a table and talking or milling around, but there's enough um there's enough kind of setting description and and little incidentals that needed to to be told that because we just couldn't present it given that it's a reading that, that I wanted there to be a, not quite a narrator, but, but someone in that role, someone to kind of, you know, guide what the audience couldn't see. And I realized that person needed to kind of be able to give themselves permission to adjust on the fly and narrate in a pretty 
flexible fashion, you know, realizing what needed to go and what needed to stay. And I really didn't think anyone else would feel that level of permission uh, as much as I would. And so I I realized that I, I wanted to, to take that. And as such, I, I also picked up all the sort of the unnamed uh, parts, butler and, and aid and uh, maid and things like that. And I, and I haven't really looked back, you know. Uh, I remember, remember when I said I was going to do this, my wife sort of kind of angrily said, no, Lehman, you know, you, this is the part you've dreamed of playing. You know, you need to, you need to do this. And I, I kind of had to calmly say, well, I, I don't think so. I think I'm okay with, with letting this one go, you know, and, and, and recognizing also that maybe this isn't going to be the last time I do this. And that kind of fills me with, with, a, with a bit of a thrill and a bit of, you know, that, that allows this not to just be the sort of one attempt at doing something and then kind of, okay, I've, you know, forget about it. I've, I've done it now. I can kind of let it go. But to allow it to be the potential for something more, that's, um, that's a much more exciting prospect. And so this, this, this go around, I don't mind standing at the podium and announcing entry and exits. It sounds like you have a real, there's a real sort of love affair with the script. And at least this time around, it sounds like it's your main objective is to serve that rather than for lack of a better word, like the ego of the actor to be like, I see myself in this role. Well, and casting was its own sort of bugaboo because I had 15 <laughs> parts and a whole bunch of actors and sort of figuring out who to put where was its own sort of strange adventure. Um, at the very first read through, I kind of had folks double up and was kind of listening and getting a feeling for what I liked and what I wanted to hear. And, and folks have kind of dropped in and out of the project over the months because, you know, I've, I've kind of been uh, stringing folks along <laughs> for much longer than is really... Uh, uh, nice. But I'm really happy with how it worked out. And I think part of my reason for, for stepping back and not taking a, a bigger role was that I, I wanted to hear someone else read it. You know, I know what I would sound like, you know, and I would sound a lot like probably the actor from the movie that I've watched 800 times. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to hear what other folks would, would act like and look like. And, um, I don't know, maybe I've, maybe I've, I've been burned by productions where, and, producer and director and actor all were the same person <laughs> that I thought that might be uh, that might be uh, hubris uh, that might be a uh, tempting fate to to do all three so so I'm really not I, I'm not disappointed I don't I don't feel like I'm you know I'm giving something up or or sacrificing you know something or martyring myself you know just just for its own sake I think I think it's important that that I let folks share in this and let this you know this this story tell itself and i found a, some wonderful people who are who are able to tell it i've been very happy with how this has gone and being able to sort of step back and approach it more as a, you know as a director or a producer and then at the same time ask folks for their advice and for what you know when people present pro problems as opposed to saying oh well that's not a problem or oh well i have a solution for that saying oh that is a problem what, what's the fix and it's it's very it's very gratifying to see an actor who has complained about something sort of loudly suddenly have to pause and, and think for a second and say, Well, we could do this and, and then, you know, put their 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 mind towards actually fixing a problem as opposed to just pointing it out. Um it, it feels like a bit of a judo flip and uh I, I, I like that. And um I like just giving folks permission to to work. And at the same time, you know, maintaining something you know, I do have a vision. I do have something I wanna see. This isn't um this isn't just, you know, sort of a, a my dinner with Andre, we're all going to go out into the, the woods and, and act for our own sake. You know, there, there is something we're trying to tell here. There is a story. Um, and there is a reality that I want present. Um, not so much that I'm going to be hanging swastikas all over the place, but 
still. I, I want uh, I want folks to to really to really think and to feel and to respond in a way that's unique. I think you know this is very different um, from almost any other script I've come across. It's very cold, but it's it's at the same time it it's one of the most beautiful beautiful scripts I've ever seen. Now, Marty, to turn things around on you, a uh, full disclosure: you're going to be acting in this. This is true. I am. Um, and 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 you and I, we've 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 met before. You know, uh, <laughs> it's true. Let's let's not uh let's not make this some sort of a circus show. And you and you're my you know tout in the crowd. You know, when I asked you to be a part of this, what what attracted you to the project? Wow, this is funny. I, I'm used to asking the questions. I guess I guess we're used to with stories about the Holocaust. People trying to say wrap their head around a number like yeah. six million or whatever. But I feel like this script manages to bring attention by pushing it all the way in the opposite direction of like if it's like if we can make this so boring that an audience goes, wait a minute. Yeah. How did that how did that happen? How was this how did this become boring in my head? And that flip, that is exactly what I what I love. You know, it is that sort of casually accepting, okay, yes, all right, so three million will die if we wait. Why am I sort of casually allowing three million people to die? And it's because you turn them into a math problem. You turn them into logistics. You know, you say you you say we have a storage problem. You say we have, you know, a human problem. And that's ooh, that's chilling. And that's telling. And and it, you know, sort of it makes you wonder. You know, in our day and age, when we talk about sort of casually talk about unemployment, you know, numbers, or we talk about, you know, violence in parts of the world, and, you know, you sort of, you see a list of the dead, and you go, okay, okay, sure, you know, and you sort of casually accept, well, of course, you know, people are going to die in that part of the world, people always die in that part of the world, and then, you know, a much smaller number of kids much closer to home, you know, vanish, and that's a national crisis, and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting psychological, you know, sort of, I don't know, study or, or, or reflection. I mean, you know, Stalin said it best, you know, you know, one death is a tragedy. A million is a statistic. You know, when you, you can no longer wrap your head around it, when you can no longer perceive the humanity of it, um, you know, when, when, it, when the pain becomes so distant and just so much that, that we can't even stomach it enough to think about it, that's when you start letting things happen because you're no longer you don't have that gut revulsion, um, and that's and that's really you know where evil comes from you know, that, that that capacity to just sort of say you know we're doing this for a greater good we're doing this for a cause that that needs to happen you know because I've got quotas to meet because you know there's no other way that's you know. And it's it's hard to break out of those cycles. It's hard to break out of of systemic wrongness. Well, and, and one thing that's that's really fascinating is, I mean, it's called it's called conspiracy because it is. It's about lies. It's you know, it's about lying to to the public, to the world. You know, for all we sort of you know talk about, well, of course, you know, Nazis hate Jews and they're going to kill Jews. It wasn't a well publicized thing. It was a hidden thing. You know, I mean, there there's a reason there's Holocaust deniers, you know, because the Germans were pretty aware, you know, that there was some bad stuff going on. And, you know, the ones perpetrating it didn't want it out there. You know, then that's why everything is so creepily couched in euphemism that can be sort of denied. You know, they talk about evacuations. They talk about immigration. You know, when what they're saying is 
put up against the building and shot, which is, you know, put into a, you know, a shower stall and gassed. Um, and that's, a, that's an interesting thing to see, you know, folks who know to some degree that they're doing wrong, otherwise they, they wouldn't be so secretive about it, and yet still acting so casually about the sort of the wrongness that they're doing. It's, it's, a, it's a very strange juxtaposition. Um, Loring Mandel, uh, when um, I was talking with him, uh, said that they had to be very careful when they were writing the script because they didn't want to, to add anything that could be seen as, as, in, as sort of falsifiable or incriminating enough that it would give Holocaust deniers something to jump on. You know, they had to base everything on, on real, you know, historically grounded evidence, um, simply so that someone couldn't say, ah, see, they made this one thing up, they're making everything up. And I found that, I found that an interesting game they had to play with themselves, you know, because again, it, it is easy to, to over-dramatize. It is easy to, to, again, weirdly fetishize or, or, you know, because we all, at this, you know, in this day and age, most of us in sort of a pop cultural way will accept that Nazis are ravenous, you know, slavering beasts, you know, who just hate Jews because that's what they do. You know, that's, that's all they're there for. They're there for good guys to kill without feeling bad about it. Um, and, you know, to have him talk about, well, no, we had to really be careful um, because if you, if you allow, you know, sort of passion or drama to invent one thing, then that can put the lie to everything else. And that can, that can in a weird way corrupt what we're trying to do here. And, um, and I found that chilling. I mean, A, that, you know, we sh we're still living in a day and age when, when there are folks unwilling to accept this uh, or accept degrees of it. Uh, and, and that, uh, but I think at the end, it, it created a better piece of, of, of fiction because it was so grounded in reality, you know, because this is a type of meaning that could happen anywhere at any time. Only this one did, and the ramifications are terrible. This reading of Conspiracy takes place on January 19th at Grace Church on the Hill, uh, 7.30. And it's, um, it's again, it's going to be a free free program. And uh, we, we'd love to have folks come out. Uh, the, uh, Loring Mandel will, will be answering questions afterwards, um, and um, as, will, um, as will I and, and other members of, uh, some members of the cast, and, and possibly even uh, the original director as well. Uh, so it promises to be a promises to be an interesting. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca.